I lived, I loved, I didn't spot my conscience, with hate, with curse, or with the evil deeds. My people, I'll come back to you, I promise. Life after death is what the poet needs, long suffering and tired but unbroken. I crouch upon my dear native land, with honest glance and with the words unspoken, with truthful teardrops pouring like a rain. This podcast shows that Ukraine is not what foreigners see on television. In reality, Ukrainian people are much better, much more interesting and dynamic than foreigners expect. So let's change the stereotypes. This podcast is about the real life, experiences, work, and personalities of Ukrainian people from all backgrounds. The goal is to build the great reputation of Ukraine all over the world and to change the stereotypes so that foreigners discover the positive truth about Ukraine, hear the voices of Ukrainians, visit the country and invest in the economy, creating more opportunities for the younger Ukrainian generations to stay and build their country. Hello, my name is Aziz and I have a deep connection with Ukraine. My grandfather volunteered in 1987 to help liquidate the Chernobyl chemical radiation because he believed in humanity. He was a real hero for me and even though he struggled with cancer after that for the rest of his life, he always told me many great things about Ukraine and its people. Then from 2018 to 2019, for two years, I began working with UNICEF in Ukraine to help build orphanages for the children who lost their families in the war. I couldn't return to Ukraine in 2020 because of COVID-19, so this project is my volunteer work to help Ukraine. Thank you all so much for the support. This podcast now is ranked number one on Apple Podcasts about Ukraine. Top 100 travel podcasts in France, in Switzerland, in Hong Kong, and in Ireland. Top 60 travel podcasts in the United Kingdom, Norway, Japan, and Denmark. Top 50 in Sweden, in Canada, in Italy, in Spain, in Singapore, and in Jamaica. Top 25 travel podcasts on Apple Russia. Top 15 on Apple Poland, Latvia, Belarus, and in the Netherlands. And top 10 in Finland. Romania, Cyprus, Thailand, South Korea, Egypt, and the Maldives Islands. So keep supporting this project. More than 110 interesting people participated in this podcast for Ukraine. From the vice president of the Helen Marlin Group, to the vice chancellor of the UGCC, to the Vatican Holy See, to the president of the Erasmus Student Network, Kiev, to the president of the World Trade Center, Kiev, to the Royal Academy of Science International Trust, to the FLEX program by the American Councils for International Education, to the Klitschko Foundation, to students from Yale, Columbia, New York, Harvard University, the London School of Economics and Political Science, LCC International, the Stockholm School of Economics in Riga, 
and Minerva schools at KGI to the United Nations to interns at the Ukrainian parliament and at the Canadian parliament to top 1% students in Ukraine, to Ukrainian YouTube influencers, but not only those. This podcast also features everyday normal Ukrainians sharing their stories, simple lives, and voices with the world. Because I want to give every Ukrainian from all backgrounds the opportunity to participate in this project for Ukraine. Now, our next goal is to interview 150 Ukrainians on this podcast. So if you want to learn more about this project or to send me a message, go to the Instagram aziz.future. My guest today is Vera Hrabchuk. Vera is a volunteer Flex City representative at American Councils for International Education for Ternopil, Ukraine, and is a Flex alumna for 2018-2019 in Colorado. And she is an English as a second language teacher committed to teaching English through arts, acting, and creative writing, watching and reflecting on movies, reading and discussing books, and a translator, passionate about sharing Ukrainian culture with the world, hosting an educational YouTube channel where she shares the best of Ukrainian literature translated to English in form of audiobooks. And she is the organizer of 50 plus projects in the fields of disability rights, English teaching, opportunities for youth, and charitable performances. Vera, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. And thank you for such a beautiful introduction. How are you? I'm excited, ready to speak with you, ready to play. So let me begin with my favorite new question, which is this. Vera, these days, these months, this period, what do you seem to think a lot about because it's very important for you or is something in your life you're trying to change or in the world you're trying to improve or something that really keeps on being a thought in your head recently? Okay, that's a great question. Probably the thing I'm thinking about now is um, what should I translate next? You know, because I'm constantly in the process of translating new and new Ukrainian uh, works, Ukrainian poems, novels uh, into English. And uh, I love Ukrainian literature so much that it's hard for me to pick what I want to do next. Uh, But I also try, you know, to differentiate uh, the themes I'm working with. So, like, I don't want it to be, like, only poems about love or only, like, historical um, novels. I want to show that Ukrainian literature is very vibrant and uh, diverse. That's why I want to translate as many possible genres and themes and and themes and possible. And, uh, yeah, it's really bothering me what should I translate next because the choice is huge and uh, I got to do some work about it. Thank you so much. So if I understood correctly, it's about choosing what to translate next because you love Ukrainian literature so much and it's so diverse. There are so many genres that you don't want to only translate one type, 
because then it will seem like the Ukrainian literature is limited, but actually it's so rich and there are so many types and kinds and angles and writers and thoughts in it. So you love a lot of it and all of it, and you cannot choose or pick one because there are so many great choices. Is this correct? This is absolutely correct. Yeah. Thank you. And then to ask you, among what you have already translated, what is the thing that you're either most proud of, the thing you feel maybe you did best, or your favorite that you have translated already, so it's done? All right. So probably the most uh, meaningful to me is uh, a poem by Ukrainian uh, writer and poet Vasil Stus. It's called I'm Not Afraid of Death. Um, Vasil Stus is one of the most uh, important figures in Ukrainian history overall. And uh, his life just inspires me so much. I'm so proud that I have such a compatriot that, uh, you know, it's actually, it was very hard for me to translate it because um, this poem, I'm Not Afraid of Death, is an entire confession of his, uh, which he has written uh, when he was uh, imprisoned in a very uh, harsh uh, conditions in uh, Gulag. And, uh, you know, it makes uh, you feel... Uh, it gives you goosebumps when you understand that the poem you are translating was written in the uh, prison cell. And uh, yeah, so that was very hard for me to translate hard emotionally. Uh, but when there was a result, I, gre- I greatly enjoyed it. And I was proud that I, I could do that. Thank you. And we will speak about this for a while. But to begin, which verse of the poem seems to be like the most meaningful or your favorite that you have translated? Oh, should I like quote here? Should I actually give a quote of the poem? Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, give me a second. Okay. I lived. I loved. I didn't spot my conscience. With hate, with curse, or with the evil deeds. My people. I'll come back to you, I promise. Life after death is what the poet needs. Long suffering and tired but unbroken. I crouch upon my dear native land. With honest glance and with the words unspoken. With truthful teardrops pouring like a rain. Yeah, that was it. Thank you. And I want to ask more. Let's say... You had to ask your heart, because it's a very beautiful poem, but if you had to ask your heart, which part is the most meaningful? The fact that it was written in the gulag in prison, or the words of the poem and what it conveys? Which one is a deeper meaning for you? The deeper meaning is uh, the words itself, for sure. Because uh, even if it wasn't written in Gulag, uh, it still would convey the same uh, very powerful message. Uh, just the knowing the background that it was written in imprisonment, uh, it gives it even more power. But uh, of course, not all the people, especially foreigners, are aware of the biography of this poet. Then they might not know under which circumstances 
was it written, but they will still feel this message. So I do think that the message itself is more important. Thank you. So then when you choose things to translate, do you look for the message more than anything? Or what is your criteria in what you have already translated that makes you think, wow, this is something I need to translate? Is it maybe the message? Or maybe the person that has played a role in the history of Ukraine? Or maybe it's uh, about diversity. So you try to go from field to field and genre to genre. Or is it something else? What is the criteria? Maybe it's an emotion that your heart feels, yes, this is it. Or your brain has a logical reasoning. Or how do you choose and have you chosen your previous pieces that you have translated. Okay, thank you. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, a few criteria, and I just understood that at some point I use all of them. Uh, but I do have uh, the most important criteria for me is that um, more than anybody else, I translate the authors who were repressed in the Soviet Union, who either were imprisoned or even killed, or whose works just were not published uh, because of the censorship. Because, uh, you know, I I am a creative person myself. I sometimes also write my own poems. And I know how important it is for the author uh, to be uh, heard. And my uh, heart just breaks when I understand that such uh, talented people, they weren't heard. Uh, The government, the Soviet government, the system didn't let their voices to be heard. So uh, I really feel like it's my duty as a Ukrainian to to correct this historical mistake, um, to make their voices heard uh, in Ukraine and abroad. And that's the most important criteria. Usually I translate uh, those authors who were uh, to some extent repressed. And then uh, all the other criteria are basically everything that you mentioned. I look um, at the like at the message of it. I look whether it uh, causes emotions and yeah. Thank you. So what I'm hearing is you go for the authors who have been repressed by the system because it breaks your heart that their voices were not shared or heard and therefore it's your duty as a ukrainian to share their voices now with other ukrainians as well as with foreigners and all over the world so that their voices will be heard while before they weren't is this a correct understanding exactly thank you so much and to ask you then a bit further what resonates for you about authors and creative people who are repressed how do you relate why is that so personally meaningful to you that's a very good question you know um I have never experienced uh, repression as a creative person. Uh, I have never experienced repression uh, to myself. Um, It's actually quite the opposite. In school, I was always encouraged by by my teachers, by my classmates to share my poems, to share uh, what I do. And I always felt welcome and I always felt like my um, creativity is important. Uh, But, you know, I'm also very empathetic. And I uh, actually can relate uh, to the things um, 
even that which I didn't experience myself. Uh, for example, uh, whenever I see like an injustice or unfair treatment or something that is just not right, it, it doesn't matter if it applies to me. Uh, if it's not right, it's not right. And it doesn't matter whether it touches me personally or not. So I believe um, that uh, this, uh, you know, uh, a great crime of Soviet Union system is something uh, we all should like, um, I don't know, we should do something with it. We should uh, um, make these voices heard and we should um, tell about those people who were repressed in the Soviet Union. But it isn't really like you shouldn't be focusing on this dark side and telling so much about uh, what great repressions or what great tortures uh, they underwent. It's more important to share how beautiful what beautiful people they were what uh, beautiful works they have created and then if somebody wants to know more um, they will understand about repressions but what's more important is showing the true um, face of this poet or poetess uh, to to show them as uh, interesting people as uh, meaningful people uh, yeah and uh, Although I have never experienced repression, whenever I see repression anywhere in the world, especially when it uh, concerns my own country, I uh, I am very uh, concerned about it and I share this uh, pain or, yeah, let's say like this. Thank you. So if I understood correctly, you're very empathetic and when you see injustice, you try to correct it and you're not focusing on sharing the repression or the negative side, but you want to show the beauty and the greatness of those poets and poetesses and share their personality and the way they were and their greatness with the world. Is this correct? Yes, that's correct. And why is it important that you show the greatness of those poets and poetesses? So now we're not talking about repression, we're talking about the other side, which you said is even more important. So why is that so important and valuable and meaningful for you to share their greatness and who they were as people? Well, uh, you know what? Um, a long, long time ago, it's at school even when I was in middle school in seventh grade, uh, we had a subject called world literature uh, where we also studied uh, literature uh, from other countries, from like um, English literature, German literature, uh, French literature, even Hungarian, so like Polish, even the literature of our neighbors. But actually, I understood that uh, people in this, young people in other countries, they do not study uh, Ukrainian literature as a part of uh, foreign literature. I even made some research uh, about it. And no, um, nowhere in the world uh, people study Ukrainian literature as a part of foreign foreign literature course. Uh, and I, like, I was like, wait, um, of course you have to embrace other cultures. I enjoy uh, foreign literature a lot. I admire a lot of uh, English and French authors, uh, but I want uh, Ukrainian authors to be equal with them i want ukrainian art and you know uh, literature for me is the reflection uh, of life i want ukrainian 
uh, life Ukrainian people to be represented in the world literature? Like, why there are so few translations of Ukrainian literature? Uh, this question started to bother me even yeah, in secondary school. So, yeah, I just want uh, Ukraine to have its right place among other nations. And I want uh, the rest of the world to treat, Ukra- to treat Ukraine as their equal. Uh, well, <laughs> if you talk about my uh, views, my world views, I want all nations to treat each other equally. Uh, but I'm especially concerned about uh, equal treatment of Ukraine. <laughs> Thank you. So what I'm hearing is this. Even in middle school, when you are reading about world literature, you notice that all over the world, and you did your research, people are not exposed to the Ukrainian great poets and writers and literatures, and this is wrong. And to you, literature and art in general is a reflection of life, and therefore it's a reflection of the Ukrainian people and all over the world. People should be treating all other countries equally, opening their mind to the greatness and the literature and the people from other countries. And to you specifically as a Ukrainian, you are an advocate of sharing the literature and arts of Ukraine with the world through your translation, which means you are sharing the people and the way of life and the lives of Ukrainians through literature with other countries, so Ukraine will take its rightful place among all other nations. Is this a correct understanding? Yes. And why is it so important for you that Ukraine takes its rightful place among other nations? I know it seems like a simple question, but this is about you. Why is it personally very important And was that experience of learning world literature and discovering that foreigners aren't exposed to Ukrainian literature, the catalyst that caused this? Or did you have other experiences where you noticed injustice and that Ukraine doesn't have its rightful place in the world? And that motivated you even more to work harder and to do the mission and goal that you're on right now? Okay, that's a great question. Um, you know, um, when I was in the USA as an exchange student, um, a lot of people didn't even know that such a country as Ukraine exists. And like that was very offensive when people would uh, ask if it's still a part of Russia. Um, but I do have to say that uh, I met some wonderful educated Americans uh, that knew about Ukraine and the current situation in Ukraine and uh, basic geography of Ukraine even so. Uh, this is not to general- generalize all Americans. I think you can uh, meet people who aren't good at geography everywhere. Uh, but yeah, uh, when you understand that some people don't even know that such a country exists, and they have like no idea where is it on the map. And actually, you know that Ukraine is the second biggest country in Europe, and it's very important culturally and uh, geopolitically uh, to the whole world. And you just understand, you ju- you are just like why why people don't know about my country. Um, so I just really want to um, 
be an ambassador of my country. And I do believe that for that, uh, it's not necessary to be a diplomat. It's not necessary to work uh, in the embassy to be the ambassador of your country. Because uh, my country is a part of me. And if whenever I go anywhere else to any other country in the world, doesn't matter, is it US or any other country? Yes, I'm Vera Hrabchuk. I am a university student. I am a translator. But most of all, I am a Ukrainian and I am representing Ukraine. So like, um, you know, in Ukraine, we have a very beautiful comparison in Ukrainian culture. We say that each Ukrainian has two mothers. Uh, the first is your natural mother, and the second is Ukraine itself. Uh, we do we do believe that Ukraine, as our motherland, as uh, our native land, is to some extent our mother who gave us this life and this opportunity to uh, to breathe, to see, uh, to experience. And uh, yeah, I'm just Ukraine is a part of me. And uh, it just breaks my heart if I see that Ukraine is underrepresented or underestimated, because uh, then I should say I take it personally. I can see the influence of reading a lot of poetry on your poetic communication, and I like that very much. And to speak a bit further about other facets of your personality, because I think this is related to empathy, and you repeat it twice that this breaks your heart. But in your introduction, you also care about disability rights. So it's not only about patriotism and literature. Let's explore the other things that break your heart. And I think that's a funny sentence to say, <laughs> but this is so sincere and true. Yeah, that's true. So that's a great moment. Disability rights. Can you speak about that? Why is that important, meaningful for you? And what is the injustice there that you noticed? Okay, so this is going to go into a little bit uh, different direction. It actually has um, not uh, much to do with my empathy. This is more about my personal experience. I have a disability myself. I uh, couldn't walk uh, before I was uh, like five years old. And then when I started working, uh, walking myself, I uh, uh, walked with a limp, uh, which still continues. It's like chronical. And when I was in kindergarten, um, I will remember the occasion and I will probably remember it to the rest of my life. Uh, when uh, I was back then six years old and uh, we were at the playground and uh, a two-year-old uh, girl, little girl, she come up to me and she wanted to uh, play with me or something. And then my uh, and then her older sister, who was like seven or eight, she told her, "No, no, no! Don't even come close to her because you are going to walk like her after that." And uh, this, like, that was so painful experience for me. It was like people don't uh, accept me and people will like never accept me <laughs> no one is going to play with me at the playground even uh, two-year-old small children and everybody is afraid of me uh, so yeah these were a little bit traumatic experiences back when i was a child uh, but then you know what really helped me uh, is when I went to the U.S. and I saw this fair treatment of people with disabilities. No one staring at them, no one asking uh, what's wrong with your leg. Because in Ukraine, I would always get this question, what's wrong with your leg? 
and then I would just ashamed to say, uh, you know, I have a, dis a disability. I would say, you know, I broke it. It's going to get better soon. And then after a certain period of time, this person will ask again, uh, Vera, is your leg getting any better? And I would be like coming up with another excuses. I was just literally ashamed to say that I'm disabled. But uh, my experience in the US and the inclusive uh, society there actually helped me to accept myself. And now I can openly say that I have a disability. That's not a problem anymore. And, you know, I just noticed that uh, people in the US are very tolerant and the infrastructure for the disabled people is there, uh, like all the lifts and uh, uh, tables in Braille and all the signs uh, interpreted in Braille and uh, rails on the staircases. And uh, I really uh, understood that I should do something that Ukraine is the same. And, you know... Um, I have like a personal motto. It sounds like the best way to empower and support yourself is to empower and support other people. So I started to do a project oriented on the disabled community in Ukraine and my town. Overall, um, I uh, held a number of presentation of FLEX program emphasizing on the fact that uh, FLEX is also accessible for the disabled students. Um, and uh, I have uh, done uh, two forums uh, during which uh, one of the topics was like the fair treatment of the disabled people in Ukraine, the inclusion and the um, and my American experiences of it. Because I really hope that uh, due to this, the situation in Ukraine will change and uh, the next girl uh, who will be uh, five years old after me uh, she will not uh, hear these comments that uh, somebody is going to walk like her if he or she comes closer. And she will feel accepted, loved and valued um, because uh, this is very important. And disability should never define uh, the, the personality because it has nothing to do with that. Thank you. And this is not so different, actually, from having Ukraine being accepted and being valued in a world that is tolerant while well, all countries are inclusive together. So if I understood correctly, that experience when you were five years old and the two years old girl came to play with you, but the seven years old told her, no, that she will walk like you. And then you were for a long time ashamed. And when people ask you, what's wrong with your leg? You say you broke it, and then again they ask, and you need to come up with other reasons rather than feel accepted for who you are. But when you went to the U.S. and you notice that people are very tolerant, there is infrastructure, and people don't look at you in any unusual way, you wanted to bring this back to Ukraine because you have the motto that the best way to help yourself is to help others, and therefore... If the culture changes, whether through your forums and presentations at Flex and in your city, etc., then the next five years old girl will feel accepted and there will be inclusion and she will not feel any way that will give her shame or any negative feelings. 
Is this a correct understanding? It is. Thank you. And I really appreciated your comment about um, that my um, desire to support uh, disabled um, people is similar to my desire to support Ukraine on international area um, arena because a lot of um, historians and even um, poets, writers, uh, they often compare Ukraine to like, let's say, a country with a, um, a traumatic experience, like a country with PTSD, let's say so, because over the course of our history, we underwent uh, so many wars and so many occupations, so many tragic events, like uh, Chernobyl nuclear disaster, which your grandfather was a part of. But we are like this traumatized country that needs uh, more support and more acceptance rather than the countries who, who weren't traumatized in this way. So yeah, I do believe uh, there is some connection between my support of Ukraine and my support of the, the disabled people. So yeah, thank you for making that connection. You're welcome. And yes, even Nikita Puz or the lawyer from IQO or even Ricardo Cassianini spoke about this. Nikita Puz called it the post-Soviet trauma and Ricardo Cassianini, who is the vice president of Helen Martin Group, spoke about all the many different hits that he said happened to Ukraine each time they, the country starts to progress, but people are so resilient, so strong, and so hopeful about life. And specifically now, this motto of the best way to help yourself is to help others. I'm sure it isn't something you are born knowing, or you knew as a five years old girl, but it developed over time. How did you learn that? Was it from literature? Was it from some experiences and stories you had or from your own reflection or a wise person shared it with you? Or how did that belief and motto become an important part of your life? All right. So I can't really think of a specific moment when this motto came to my mind. Uh, but I believe uh, since like early teenage years, I re will repeat myself, I have always been a very empathetic and I had this desire uh, to help people. And uh, you know, when I started doing volunteer project and charitable performances, uh, through which we would fundraise money for, again, the disabled kids who especially needed money for expensive medicine or expensive treatment or uh, surgeries. Um, when we were raising money and uh, then we would like raise uh, pretty much four or 5,000 um, revenues um, from each performance. And then we would give money directly to the parents of these kids. And when we uh, saw the smiles on their faces and this like tears of joy and tears of being touched i like understood that this is the sense of my life the sense of my life is to see people smiling and touched uh, from the work i did for them because um you know everything you do for yourself will disappear um at the day you leave this planet, leave this world, 
and everything you did for other people, for your community, for your country, everything you've done on the big scale, big picture, it will, uh, I do believe it will live forever in, in hearts of people, in the memory of people. This is great. So seeing the people, their faces smiling and their hearts touched and their lives changed because of the work you do, that's how you can live forever because you have made a difference rather than your life ending at the end of your life. Is this correct? Yeah. I'm not actually thinking about the end of my life yet. I have many, many, many plans <laughs> to do, uh, to accomplish. Uh, but I do believe that um, good deeds, uh, they last forever. And that's what's beautiful about it. I like that. It's a very Hellenic Greek <laughs> kind of mythology thought about as long as someone somewhere remembers your name, you're never dead. And to ask you a bit further, and I'm not asking about your <laughs> the end of your life, <laughs> or we went, we spoke about the repression and gulag, and now we speak about the end of life and everything. So this is not really uh, a death-oriented kind of episode. So to ask you another way, why is it so important for you that your good deeds, you do good deeds that make you be there and stay after the end of your life and they stay forever. I understand there is a human element of the empathy and noticing the good feelings that you cause in the lives and in the faces of people. But on a bigger thing, when did that develop? Because this is different to empathy. Was there maybe you were reading a book and you thought, wow, this person is still alive because this poem will stay alive forever and they will be remembered. And you said, I want something like this. Or maybe a movie, there was a character or in a novel that inspired you. Or where did specifically this desire to live on forever and be there a part of history become so valuable and meaningful in your life? You know, mm Probably I was inspired uh, by those uh, Ukrainian poets I admire by those who I translate. Because in the beginning of our podcast, I uh, cited a quote um, from the poet. And he said that uh, like he feels that his life is coming to an end, but he is not worried about it because his people uh, will remember him. Um, so like... I have never been exposed to this uh, way of life, to this worldview before in uh, high school. I read uh, these poems um, who were like, we don't care, uh, we don't even care about ourselves rather than about our children and grandchildren and those who will live after us. Like uh, in all their in all their poems, in everything I uh, have come across from Ukrainian literature, there is this like equaling of uh, we aren't that important as our descendants, and uh, our uh, present is not as important as the future, and we can sacrifice ourselves for the better future. And uh, at some point, I was amazed. 
at that worldview. And I didn't really feel like I began to I, I began sharing it, uh, but I do feel that sub subconsciously it happened. Subconsciously, I adopted the worldview of these great poets who I admire. You know, just being altruistically, um, just being an altruist, just living for other people really makes a lot of sense. Living for the future, living for the future gen generations, um, that's, that's a great thing to do. Thank you. So what I am hearing is you didn't have that worldview before, but as you began exploring more and more of the poetry and literature of the repressed Ukrainian authors, they had this worldview where they will sacrifice today and they're not important today because what is important is the future generations and the lives of their descendants. So they will sacrifice everything for that rather than be selfish or live a life that is meaningless. And although you are amazed by it and it was not a logical choice or decision, subconsciously, this worldview seeped in and began taking roots in your behavior, mind, and attitudes. Is this correct? Yes, that's true. And to ask you then even further, because there are so many things we can talk about, but I want to talk about literature. You said two things. Literature is a representation of people and their lives. Well, do Ukrainian people today have that worldview? And a separate question, which is, what is your favorite, most favorite part about enjoying literature? Why is it so meaningful and important to your life? Is it escape? Is it an educational wisdom experience? Is it reliving history and being part of it? Or what could be the most meaningful part about you reading the literature itself? So two things, like I said, why is consuming and enjoying literature so important and second you said that literature is a reflection of people's lives well do ukrainian people today live with the same perspective as their literature or is it one of the reasons you wish to share more so that the ukrainians of today remember the people from the past and subconsciously be inspired by that attitude as well let me know sure so I do believe there are a lot of Ukrainians who are very altruistic, just like those who sacrifice their lives for Ukrainian independence and the development of Ukraine, because we see so many volunteers. The concept of volunteering appeared in Ukraine, I believe, uh, no, um, not earlier than uh, five or ten years ago. And now there are so many volunteer opportunities. Every Ukrainian city and town has at least one or two uh, volunteer organizations for youth. Um, we have volunteers in every sphere. We have volunteers who work, who support um, uh, Ukrainian uh, wounded soldiers. We have volunteers who support education in Ukraine. Uh, just like, uh, you know, we have people who support uh, the disabled uh, we have people who support every vulnerable group. We um, 
number of charity organizations of NGOs has grown enormously. More and more young people are uh, becoming interested in volunteer opportunities and activism. And that's beautiful. I do believe that Ukraine is um, experiencing a cultural, um, cultural, educational and uh, most importantly, civic revival in the past uh, five years. And I do believe that uh, a lot of Ukrainian uh, youth and a lot of Ukrainian people are taking inspiration uh, from uh, the people of the past. Thank you. So now I'm very curious about something even more specific. You as an activist in an ideal world, what would be the structure of a day that will give you the most meaning, fulfillment and joy where you contribute the most and you do your favorite activities as well? Let's imagine the weather is perfect, the resources are plentiful and you're full of energy. When would you wake up? What would you do first, second, third? How would you enjoy yourself as well? Which projects would you work on? What would you do in the evening? And can you share such a perfect day if you could design it without limits? Okay, and the lockdown isn't here, yeah? No lockdown. Wow. It's a perfect okay. universe. In the perfect universe, I would wake up, I would... Uh drink a cup of tea and then I would pack my things and go probably to a different city. Um, especially I'm curious about exploring um, other parts of Ukraine, especially curious on going uh, to the east because I'm from the west and I would like to um, get to know the other part of my country and break some stereotypes and uh, develop this mutual understanding. Um, this project is in the future. We already have the concept, but we are thinking that we will be able to execute it a little later, maybe in like April. So uh, actually now when I'm talking about this perfect day, I am visualizing uh, this my future trip that I am very, very excited for. So I would pack my things and go to the opposite side of my country. <laughs> the ride would be very long. It would be like uh, pretty much 10, hour, 10 hours, maybe even more. Something like that. It's uh, like more than a thousand kilometers. So yeah, um, maybe eight hours or something. I would read something on my way there for maybe some poetry. And I, of course, I would also keep in touch uh, with my co-organizers, maybe working on some logistics. Then I would come there, I would get to know local people. Um, we would organize uh, some uh, small-scale activities together, like uh, an English-speaking club for the local youth, or uh, like uh, just like game night or something, just to have uh, fun and to get to know my peers from the eastern part. And then we would do like a cleanup together, um, and we, uh, by like doing this uh, community service together, in the meantime, we would also communicate and break stereotypes and uh, uh, design, design the better Ukraine and more united Ukraine through our conversations and through getting to know each other. You know, I'm talking about this because I really miss the opportunity to travel. So in the perfect universe, um, due to my... Uh, voluntary work and due to activism, I'm most likely traveling to expand my horizons, to meet new people and to explore new places. And then I combine traveling with community service. 
meet new people. Well, we didn't speak about that because it seems like when we spoke that you'll be more of the introvert kind who sits under a tree reading literature (laughs) and translating that. So speak about more because we didn't explore that. What is the unique personality of Ukrainian people? What is the difference between the people from the East and the West, according to your own personal anecdotal experience? And speak about what do you learn about people and why is that so important and valuable and enriching for you? You know, I totally understand why I seem to you as an introverted type, but I am an iconical ambivert, which is 50% extrovert, 50% introvert. Uh, Depending on my mood, I could either sit under a tree and read poetry or travel uh, to a a completely different part of Ukraine. I can do both. Uh, And yeah, uh, talking about the difference uh, between the Easterners and the Westerners, um, I don't really want uh, to repeat uh, the stereotypes. Uh, which uh, to my uh, to my uh, mind are very narrow-minded and and sometimes unlogical. Okay, great. This is brilliant. So speak about unity and speak about the uniqueness of Ukrainians compared to what people think when they think, oh, Ukrainians, that's just Russian, which is very wrong. And this podcast is really showing the uniqueness and personalities of Ukrainian people. But to you, since you work for unity, for bridging the gaps and bringing people closer, tell me about the similarities then between Ukrainians, but uh, all of Ukrainians from all parts and the greatness of Ukrainian people and sharing their personalities and what you think would describe the greatness and the great Ukrainians and their energy to the world. Okay, so I would definitely say that all Ukrainians are very patriotic, but they are patriotic in a very reasonable way. They do not think that Ukraine is superior to any other country. They don't think that Ukraine is the best country in the world and no country is uh, as beautiful and as nice and as Ukraine. Um, Those Ukrainians I know and they are from totally different parts. It's not a regional thing, it's Ukrainian thing. They are really proud of Ukraine, but their worldview is the following. Yes, I love my country. Yes, I'm very proud of it. And yes, I understand that other countries might be just as great. But because I was born in Ukraine and raised in Ukraine, I consider it's my duty to uh, promote Ukraine and to love Ukraine more than I love any other country. But we are still being very open-minded to other cultures. We are ready to embrace other cultures. Ukrainians are very friendly, very hospitable. And uh, this trait uh, trait has always been there. It's in our genes. Uh, But we are also very loving. Uh, We are very affectionate to our country. We are very hardworking. Ukrainians have always been known as hardworking people. And uh, we also know what unity is. Our history is very interesting. Uh, At some point, it shows uh, when we lacked unity, we always failed. Like we would always lose in a war or we would always basically lose our country. We would lose the state. 
but we also have plenty of examples when uh, due to unity, uh, we did the victories that nobody believed in. It was like un impossible to win. It was literally impossible, but we did it because of the unity. And uh, unity is powerful. And uh, that's every Ukrainian should realize it. And we should stop uh, thinking about our differences. Yes, we are different. At some point, different parts of Ukraine belong to different empires. But that's in the past. And we have mutual future. And if we wanted to be good and inclusive for everyone, we should focus on our similarities. And we have so much in common from people with people uh, from the West, from the East, from the North or from the South. It doesn't matter because we are all Ukrainians. And uh, actually, I tried to show this unity even in my uh, literature work and my translation, because you have mentioned that I share these works in the form of audiobooks. So the ones who recite the audiobooks are Ukrainians from all over Ukraine, from all possible parts. And what unites us is Ukrainian art and uh, our love to Ukrainian art and our desire to show it to the world. And I think that's beautiful. I like that. So to you, literature and arts are a way, a tool, not just a tool, but the road to unity and to people remembering the similarities between them through the messages and the meanings and the words inside those poems or other pieces of literature. Is this a correct understanding? Yes, and I do believe that art is a very powerful tool through which you can unite people. A great unifying tool. And I cannot end before asking one thing, because you said duty in three different occasions during this interview, and probably it's the most meaningful and deep word that you repeated more than any other, even more than unity. So tell me about duty. Did you develop a sense of duty over time and thanks to literature? Or is it something you always had as a mission? And what does it mean to you, duty to Ukraine and duty in general? Duty is something um, the person has to do because, not because uh, he or she is forced, uh, but because um, she wants to do it, but except this uh, desire to do it, there's also a moral obligation, like there's a morality behind it. For example, uh, I want to uh, contribute to the cultural development of Ukraine. Uh, that's also just my wish. But what makes it my duty is that so many people have also wanted to contribute to the development of Ukraine, but they didn't do it. And uh, I want to help it. I want to be the voice of these people who didn't do that. So a duty for me is something you want to do. And you also see a very, very clear motivation uh, and most importantly, moral obligation. Why are you doing this? From where this desire is coming from? And if your desire is coming from something very valuable 
it's not just a desire, it's a duty, a duty to your country and a duty to mankind. Because um, if I believe, uh, I don't remember the person who said these lines, but uh, some uh, United uh, American civil rights movement leader said that uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So like today is somebody else who is getting oppressed and today this is going to be you. So duty is something very, very broad and we all have duties, but at the end we all realize that every person has just one duty to contribute to the development, to the well-being of a mankind. But everybody can do it in their own way. And that's what's beautiful about it. You are free to choose how will you fulfill this most important duty. Those are brilliant words. And since you're on a roll, I want to ask you even deeper and not from a sense of duty or even patriotism, but to all people in the world, if there is a piece of advice for a meaningful life and for a life that is fulfilling, or a lesson you learned that you can share now that maybe some people need to hear and when they hear it, it will go subconsciously and take roots and help them in their lives. What would be such a lesson or advice that comes from your heart that you can share right now? I would say treat others the way you want to be treated because this is how we build this uh, good life everywhere this justice everywhere just treat others in the way you want to be treated and then other people will treat you nicely too the golden rule correct yeah i i i really do my best to live by it and i really hope that other people will start or continue living by it too i hope as well and vera if people want to send you a message or to follow your projects, or to listen to your audiobooks, which social media are best for them to go to? And I will write those links in the description as well. All right, great. Uh, so I have a Telegram channel uh, where I share uh, the textual versions of my translations. Then I share the audiobooks itself on my YouTube channel. And then I also share some uh, information about my projects and just my life on my Instagram page. Yes, please say it. Maybe someone is like working out or running while listening to this. So they will remember just what is your Telegram channel handle or word that they will type in to find it. Okay, so Telegram channel is called Translations with a Purpose. Translations with a Purpose. Um, the same is uh, my YouTube channel. It's Vera Hrabchuk, uh, dot translations with a purpose. And then uh, my Instagram is Vera Grabchuk. Thank you, Vera. It was an honor, a pleasure, and a privilege to have you here today. And I wish you a great day. And I cannot wait to share this with everyone.